0: saddened and shocked this last week with the bombing in Saudi Arabia that took the lives of American men and women serving in uniform. And I suppose that uh, it is events like this that remind us that even though we are the superpower of the world, there are limitations upon us as to how we can react. We see that not only in governmental matters, that we have limitations, but we see it personally, don't we? We see it, for example, in the Olympic events coming up. How many of you would like to be participants in the Olympics? Would you raise your hand? Well, that's some of us brave souls. The rest of us are probably more honest because we see that we have limitations. You know, we may have desires to do certain things, but we have weakness. We have limitations in our humanness and our flesh. Weakness is inherent in being human. But God is different. God is different than we are. He is able to do all that pleases Him. It may please us to be in the Olympics, but that doesn't mean that we will be. It might please us to strike out at those terrorists by doing something that would get their attention. But we can't necessarily do that. But you see, God can do all that pleases him. Now that's not the same as saying that God can do anything at all. Because God can't do anything. Emphasis on any. What I said was that God can do all that pleases him. Let me illustrate the difference. There are some cynics who through the ages have posed the question, can God create a rock so heavy that he cannot lift it? And they have debated round and round about that and and sometimes mocked and made fun of the idea that that God is all-powerful. Actually, the question is a foolish question because it's based on a false premise. That is that God might do something out of harmony with his nature and he can't do that. Thiessen in his theology says lectures says God is all-powerful and able to do whatever he wills. Since his will is limited by his nature, God can do everything that is in harmony with his perfections. Paul Enns, who is also a theologian, writes it a little more simply. And a little more plainly when he says, God cannot do things that are not in harmony with his nature. He cannot go back on his word. He cannot lie. He has no relationship with sin. So you see, God cannot do anything, but God can do all things that are in harmony with who he is. One word that theologians use to describe the mightiness of God is the word omnipotence. That comes from a Latin etymology, omni meaning all, all all-encompassing, everywhere, omni, and then potens, which means powerful, And so this word omnipotence means that God is all-powerful. The word is found in the King James Version in Revelation 19, verse 6, where it says, The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Those familiar with the Messiah will recognize that Handel used that verse as part of the Hallelujah Chorus. The New American Standard Version and the New International Version translate that Lord God Almighty. And that particular translation or title connects with our text today in Jeremiah 32 where I invite you to turn. Jeremiah chapter 32. And I pick up again the theme at the end of verse 18 where it says, O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name great in counsel and mighty in deed mighty in deed you see that title for god the lord of hosts that is translated lord god almighty in the new international version now obviously the old testament is written in hebrew and the new testament is written in greek But the two names are very close to the same, though they're different languages. Here the literal name for God given is Lord Sabaoth. And if you remember singing Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress, you remember that name is included, incorporated in uh, Luther's words. I remember as a kid thinking that it said, Lord Sabbath, his name. Because that was a word I was used to, Sabbath. But then I looked at it more closely and I saw, no, it's not Sabbath. It's Lord Sabaoth, which literally means the Lord of the armies. The Lord of the armies. It is the warrior name of God. He is the Lord of the armies of heaven. And as I say, the NIV translates it, Lord Almighty. Today we want to talk about the fact that God is mighty in his deeds. In the context of Jeremiah 32, God's might is illustrated in several supernatural historical events. The first one is found in verse 17, where it says, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth. And so Jeremiah, as he prays to God, calls upon his understanding of God, and he names the making or the creation of the universe as as a demonstration of the power of God's deeds. God spoke and formed the heavens and the earth. As he continues praying, he calls upon other historical events to show how God is mighty in his deeds. Verse 20, Who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. This goes back to the judgments or the plagues that came upon Pharaoh because he would not let the people of Israel go. In verse 21, Thou didst bring thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders. And so here we see the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Verse 22, Thou gavest them this land, which thou didst swear to their forefathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they came in and took possession of it. And so here Jeremiah is pointing back to the possession of Canaan, when Israel entered into the land and took possession of it, as recorded in the book of Joshua. And then in verse 24, he seems to to bring up another historical event that shows the mightiness of God's deeds. But this one is not a happy one for Israel. Behold, the siege mounds have reached the city to take it. Jeremiah is saying that Among God's mighty deeds must be counted the fact that the Babylonians are knocking at the front gate of the city of Jerusalem. God is mighty in his deeds. Notice that Jeremiah twice uses the phrase signs and wonders. A sign is an indicator or a signal of something. Those who live in Minnesota have no trouble understanding signs for when spring arrives. We have new signs everywhere that say road closed, detour, etc., etc., etc. And when we see those signs, it's an indication to us, a signal that something is changing. And boy, does it change. And then the word wonders refers to what God does that invokes awe and amazement. It can also include the idea of being a miraculous omen or a harbinger of something that is coming. What Jeremiah says is that God in his mighty deeds performs both signs and wonders. These are demonstrations of the might of God. And as you read the Old Testament, you find that the ten plagues that came upon Egypt were especially noted as God's signs and wonders. They would include the opening of the sea so that the people could pass through on dry ground. The water that came from the rock, the wilderness provision of manna, the quail, the pillar of fire, all of these things as well as the ten plagues must be counted as signs and wonders that God performed in the history of his nation. So, Skye, could you get that glass right there and go fill it up with water for me, please? Thank you very much. You look very comfortable sitting there, but I need the water. Thank you. Now, why did God do these things? Well, he tells us it was to make a name for himself, in verse 20. To make a name for himself. God, in his mighty deeds, performed these things so that he could gain a reputation among the nations. Now, I don't have time this morning to go into the scripture texts that deal with this, but just try to track with me as I explain what I'm saying. In the 14th century, in the 1400s BC, God performed these signs and wonders. It was in the ministry of Moses, And when God did that, he said to Pharaoh, I am raising you up and I am doing these things to you so that I can gain a name among the nations. You will find if you study scripture that for the next 1,000 years, that was the reputation of the God of Israel. What he had done in Egypt and at the Red Sea. Thank you very much. And what he had done in the wilderness in providing for his people. For example, in 450 years later, David mentions it as he prays before the nation in 2 Samuel 7.23. 300 years after that, Isaiah talks about this in the 63rd chapter. Our text today in 586 B.C. Daniel, about 50 years later, after this, will again mention this. And Nehemiah, about 100 years after that, will again mention that God had gained himself a reputation among the nations by the mighty deeds which he did. God wants to be known as the God who is mighty in deeds. Now today we don't talk about God very often in relation to what he did in ancient Israel. I think we should. I think we should mention this more than we do. Because it happened to Israel, we often assign it to uh, page B or to a subcategory. But in fact, God wants to be known by these mighty things which he did. So you say... That was Old Testament. Yes, it was. But the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament, isn't he? However, God has done something in our age that is greater than the ten plagues, the opening of the sea, the provision in the wilderness, all of that put together. God has done something more mighty than all of that. And it is this deed by which God especially wants to be known in our age. Not forgetting the others. But God has done something that is so mighty, so surpassing of all of those things that he wishes to be known by this deed In this age, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, and you will see what this mighty deed is. The apostle prays, beginning in verse 18. with these words, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power, his omnipotence toward us who believe. Now notice the next sentence or so these are in accordance with the, the working of the strength of his might when he brought about which he brought about in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places <clears throat> In this age, this God who is mighty in deeds wants to be known for this act. That he, the mighty God, was able to reverse death. Not temporarily. Not just to raise someone from the dead only to die again. But he raised a man from the dead who was also his son. He raised him from the dead never to die again. He raised him as an immortal being. The first of his kind. No one has ever been like Jesus before in his resurrection. No one. Others have been raised from the dead, as I say, but none has been raised like Jesus never to die again and not only that god took this man who is his beloved son this one who is the god man and he raised him to be seated at his own right hand no one has ever been there before no human being but jesus christ is now seated at the right hand of God, and God has proclaimed that he is head of everything. Before Adam was the head of the creation, Adam lost that by his fall into sin. But Jesus Christ is the last Adam, he is the counterpart to the first Adam. And he is the beginning of the new creation of God. And he has been exalted to the right hand of God and sits there in authority over all of the creation. And God says that that is the single greatest deed that he has yet performed in the history of the world. Now that has lots of profound implications for you and me. Not the least of which is that we are seated there with him in Christ. That we have been raised from our sin; That we have been given new life. That we are seated with him But I want to focus in on one particular mighty result of this for you and me. And that is that because Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, you and I have the privilege of prayer. We have one who is at the right hand of God who intercedes on our behalf, and through our prayers. God is mighty indeed, and He is able to answer your prayers and mine. And I'd like you to flip over just a page or two in your Bible to chapter 3 of Ephesians, where Paul begins to draw the line underneath the things that he has written about in the first three chapters. And he says as he closes this chapter, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in christ jesus to all generations forever and ever amen god who is mighty indeed is able to answer your prayers by the way if you want to see some of the other implications of God's might, look up that little phrase in your concordance, he is able. Or God is able, and do a Bible study on that. It'll thrill your soul. But I'm picking out just one this morning before we go our ways in verse 20. Now to him who is able. We're talking about the one who is able to pour out plagues upon Egypt we're talking about the one who is able to open up a sea and let his people through we're talking about one who is able to provide manna from heaven and meat for his people we're talking about one who is able to provide water out of a rock in the middle of a desert We are talking about one who can dam up a flooding river and let his people into a land and give it to them. But beyond all of that, we are talking about one who is able to raise the dead into immortality. Now, to him who is able to do, God is able to work. God wants to be known as the God who does things. God's power is not dormant. God has not grown weak with age. God is still in the business of doing. And how does he do? Well, it says... Beyond all that we ask or think. And so we have a part in this. The implication here is that God does when we ask. God does things when you and I petition Him. I heard a very convicting tape this last week that was... uh, a sermon of Jim Simbola, who pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle, when he spoke to the praise gathering in Indianapolis a couple of years ago. His major point in the message was that Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of what? Yeah. Jesus didn't say, my house shall be called a house of worship and music. He didn't say, my house shall be called a house of preaching. Not that either of those things is bad. In fact, God made provision for them in the Old Testament, didn't he? In the worship of the temple. There was music there that was glorious, choirs and instruments of all kinds and dancing in the presence of the Lord. And the word of the Lord was read and explained. But Jesus said, My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And what is the thing that we least do in our congregations at the end of the 20th century? We emphasize preaching somehow we have elevated it to be the center of the service. We work hard at worship trying to develop styles that will allow people to express themselves, that's fine. But the thing that we ought to be concerned about, we neglect, and that is prayer. If, in fact, God's mightiness is not being demonstrated in our day. Might it not be that part of the reason for that is our lack of prayer? And why is it that we have hundreds who come on Sunday morning and 50 on Sunday night to pray? And I don't say that to throw a guilt trip on anybody. I'm just asking that question. Why is it that we are excited about coming to Sunday morning worship but somehow other things are more important than gathering to pray? My house, said Jesus, shall be called a house of prayer. Notice what God says about this. He says God's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. You know, there are some things you don't even ask God for. You, you think them. It may not enter your mind to ask, or you may say to yourself, well, boy, that's, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm brave enough to ask God for that. Do you ever have imaginations that kind of stretch the limit, that push the edges out a little bit on what you would like to see God do? Well, what it says here is that God is not only able to do what you ask and what you imagine, As far as you can push that. But God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all of that. God's able to do far beyond anything that we can ask. Anything that we can imagine. And some of us can imagine some pretty wild things. And God's able to do beyond that. Now remember, God can't do anything, but God will do all things that please Him. And so when we get a hold of what God's mightiness is about and understand that, that we are a part of God demonstrating that, it ought to excite our hearts. It ought to really turn us on about prayer. It ought to motivate us to say, God, how can I pray today that will allow you to do what you want to do in my life God would you work in my imagination and help me to imagine things that you want to do and I can ask you for because I know even if I ask you for that you can do more the mightiness of God God is mighty indeed he is not only able to answer our prayers he delights in answering our prayers, and what I'd like for you to do this morning in response to this this brief message on God's mightiness is just to sit and reflect for a moment and think about your own prayer life. For most of us, that's pretty convicting. And to say, God, what have I been asking you to do? And have I been asking you in faith? And have I been asking you what you want me to ask so that you can do what you want to do and what pleases you? And when we examine our hearts, then I think we need to come to the place where we simply say, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Show me how to pray. So that you can demonstrate to the world how mighty you are. So that God, you can gain a reputation in our generation. I'm not going to take time to read it, but Jeremiah just tore into the people of Judah in his preaching because they had followed the God of the nations around them. And he says, you make these gods out of your hands and you carry them around because they cannot walk and they will not respond to you. He says to them in essence, why are you following these gods? When you have a God who made the universe and a God who delivered our forefathers from Egypt and provided in the wilderness and gave us this land, why do you not trust? Today, we trust so many things, but we don't trust God as we ought. So it's a time for us to reflect on this this morning and ask God to uncover our hearts, to stir us up to pray, to show us where we have ourselves followed idols. And may God, as a result of this, Loom large in our minds. And may we see afresh how mighty, how potent God is. And how he longs to demonstrate his mightiness in your life and mine. Let's pray. God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That is the power of the resurrection. If you examine your heart, what do you want to talk to the Lord about right now? Is it your prayer life? Is it what you've been praying for? Is it how often you've prayed? Talk to him right now. Tell him what you're sensing inside. And will you commit yourself to him right now to, to pray more and better? Will you commit yourself to him by simply saying, Lord, teach me to pray as it pleases you? Show me how to pray, so that your almightiness can be demonstrated in my life and in the world." If that's close to what you're saying to the Lord and the commitment you want to make this morning, would you just lift your hand and put it down? By the lifted hand say, that, that's where I'm at, I, that's very close to what I'm saying to God. Yes, God bless you I want to pray more and better for God to demonstrate His almightiness in my life God bless you Father I pray for all of you who've lifted the hand and with them I pray teach us
1: Lord teach
0: us how to tap into the almightiness that is at work in our lives. Thank you for the demonstration of your power in the resurrection and exaltation of the Lord Jesus. Father, show us, I pray, the exciting possibilities in our lives if we will only learn what that means. If only we will give ourselves to prayer, to fellowship with you, Let's stand together, please. With our heads bowed, let's sing.
1: Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just da fé
0: at me just for a moment the songwriter said how I've learned to trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er may that be our experience, to prove the Lord to learn to trust him and to see him demonstrate his almightiness in our lives this week this week. I don't know what that may mean or what it will look like, but if we will determine to trust him and ask him to prove himself in our lives, he will. And he's able to do all that pleases him, that is in harmony with his nature. And now, Lord, help us to dream big dreams, because you're a big God. Help us to ask wisely, because you are a God who delights to answer. And may we this week, as we have sung, prove Jesus in our lives. In his name we pray. Amen.